May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter, which is why we did the Alleluia's and the Christ candle is lit. Uh, and it's also the Sunday after Ascension, which means sometime last week was Ascension Day. Does anyone know which day last week was Ascension Day? Thursday. And how did we get that? Why was last Thursday Ascension Day? Hmm? Oh, very good. 40 days. And do you know whereabouts it talks about that in the Bible? Any clues? The book of Acts. Clearly, you're all listening this morning. <laughs> it was our reading. So, Thursday of last week was Ascension Day. And, uh, and it's the day uh, where we remember Christ ascending into heaven, which this picture is all about there. I have to confess that for a long time I really haven't got Ascension Day, or what the Ascension was all about. I think it should come with a health warning, danger. This celebration could be dangerous for your faith. I think there are a lot of problems with it. And I, have to, I often wonder why Luke made so much of it. And it's Luke, it's not the other Gospel writers, it's Luke who's the one who talks about the Ascension. In some ways I think Ascension undoes a lot of what the other Gospel writers seem to be suggesting. For example, in Mark, the Gospel that we have, as written by Mark, finishes at chapter 16, verse 8. So it barely mentions the resurrection. It kind of talks about the resurrection, but there's no stories. Now it is very possible that Mark's ending got chopped off, and on that basis... Some later people offered two alternative endings. So if you look at your Bibles, and if it's a good enough Bible, it should have two alternative readings, and it should say that these are alternative readings. Um, two alternative endings. And they're based on Matthew. But they're not Mark. They're definitely not Mark. The style of writing and everything just suddenly changes. But it's also very possible that actually that was where Mark wanted his gospel to finish. So instead of having people talk about the resurrection appearances in Jerusalem or Galilee, he wanted the people where he was writing, which was probably Rome, that's where tradition says Mark was, and that's the community he was writing for, he wanted them to talk about their experience of the risen Jesus in Rome. But the ascension kind of seems to undercut that. kind of says, oh, well, there were no resurrection appearances in Rome because Jesus went back to heaven. He's gone. And I really like that idea of people thinking about the resurrection and how they experience the, res the resurrected Jesus in their lives. But the, the ascension kind of undercuts that. Likewise, other gospel writers understand the ascension in very different ways from Luke and Acts. So Matthew, for example, has no ascension. There is no ascension in Matthew. Matthew's gospel ends with Jesus saying, Surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. Which for a lot of people, well, how does the ascension fit in there? Jesus is going to be with us to the end of the age, but he's gone to heaven. How does that work? For John and Luke, the ascension happened on Easter day. In Luke's gospel, it doesn't happen 40 days later. It happens on Easter day. And John is very different. 
So in John's Gospel, when Jesus appears to the woman in the garden, he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But when he appears to the disciples, he's all up for people touching him. And the assumption is that in between Jesus appearing to the woman in the garden and Jesus appearing to the disciples, Jesus ascends. So he appears to the, to the disciples as the risen and descended one. So in John's Gospel, ascended doesn't mean going off somewhere else, but it means that the unity with the Father is restored. But Jesus is still there with the disciples as the risen and ascended one. That's a very different understanding from what Luke is portraying. And Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, so the gospel is, is the first volume of the story and the book of Acts is the second volume of the story. In, in the gospels, the ascension happens on Easter day. So he appears, Jesus appears to the woman in the garden. Then there's the story of the two walking to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them. They then turn around and go back to Jerusalem and while they are with the disciples and they're sharing their stories, Jesus appears in their midst and then he takes them out to Bethany and he ascends on Easter Sunday, not 40 days later. So for some reason, Luke decided between writing the Gospel and writing the book of Acts that he would add 40 days to the story. So rather than on Easter Sunday, we have Ascension Day on 40 days later, as Barbara said. And our churches, a long, long time ago, decided to go with that timetable. I guess in part because it gives you a, another, another celebration kind of 40 days later, rather than doing it all on one day. So from that point of view, that was a good thing. But they went with the timetable in Acts and not the timetable in the, in the Gospels. So the story's a little confused about what the ascension is and whether it was there and when it happened. But I also think that the ascension raises some problems. As I've said before, the Gospel writers were offering a radically different way of understanding God. We often bring our preconceived notions about God to the Gospels. But the Gospel writers were saying... If you want to know who God is, you have to look at Jesus. That we meet God in Jesus, in his life and death. In his life and death, we come to know the very nature of God. They invite us to understand God through Jesus. That Jesus is our primary image of who God is. Just to reinforce the point. That's what today's reading of John is all about. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, not the other way around. And central to this idea is the idea of the incarnation, that Jesus is God coming amongst us. As John says, Jesus is the word in whom and through whom and for whom all things were made. Made known to us in this person who was generous and merciful who brought healing and justice and peace and goodness and life. In this person, in his teaching, in his actions, in his death, we meet God. 
And the resurrection, rather than fixing the crucifixion, is God's big tick of approval. Yes, I am met in this story. And the trouble with the ascension can be that it kind of says that now that Jesus has gone back into heaven, we don't need to see God through the earthly Jesus. Jesus is restored back to God as Jesus as God really is, so we go back to all our preconceived ideas about the nature of God. And so a lot of Christians discount, almost, the earthly life of Jesus. Sure, there's some good teaching there, and they'll be able to tell you about some of that teaching. And the miracles are great, because they prove that Jesus was the Son of God, and that he was supernaturally cool. And his dying and rising is important so that we get into heaven and such. But they don't see any of the compassion, or generosity, or mercy, or justice, or peace, or goodness Because Jesus stops being the starting point to understanding God. The temptation is to revert back to the old images of God, like ruler and judge of all creation. Jesus who sits at the right hand of God, God all-powerful, without any hint of compassion or generosity or justice or mercy or, or goodness. And there are a lot of conservative Christian leaders around today who I suggest have fallen exactly into this trap. I received a letter a week or so ago from somebody who was just telling me that there are a lot of churches in New Zealand praying that God's punishment and judgment on New Zealand for sponsoring the resolution about illegal Israeli settlements would be delayed. And I read that letter and went, I do not not even see a glimpse of the God presented by Jesus In this letter, your God is not my God. And that's the trouble. When we get rid of the Gospels, we end up with a God who looks nothing like who Jesus lived to show us the nature of God. And it's not just conservative leaders. A lot of our religious art. I mean, our resurrection window is pretty muted and it's at the kind of lower edge of it. But there's a lot of windows, there's a lot of art that presents Jesus as this all-powerful thing. This all-powerful figure which negates the earthly life. And when we do that, we say to the Gospel writers, we're not sure about you, we're not sure about your theology that Jesus is the starting point, we like our traditional images more. And we end up with a God who is watching us from a distance, judging us from a distance. An image that is completely absent from the Gospels. And finally we have this idea that because Jesus has ascended into heaven, the incarnation is over and Jesus has left the house. And for the mission of God to continue, well that's all up to us. In fact, I've heard this said by one of our guest preachers one Sunday. If we don't do mission, nothing will happen. The responsibility is on our shoulders. Mission becomes something we do rather than something God does. And I grew up with that. I went through theological college believing that. And I can remember the day that I read that actually mission is God's responsibility and God's activity. So it was a long time ago because I was sitting on a train so we don't do trains that well in New Zealand anymore, from Auckland to Rotorua, about to lead a consultation 
for the parish there on youth ministry, and I read that mission was God's responsibility, and our role is to join that mission. It was mind-blowing. Suddenly this heavy weight came off my shoulders. This isn't all on me. This is God's responsibility, God's mission. God is involved in mission. All I have to do is join in. I can do that. That's much easier to do. But because of the ascension, we keep saying, Jesus has left, mission is ours. It's pretty clear from traditional Christian theology, and it's very clear from our Anglican theology, that mission is God's activity, the Missio Dei. So I blame the ascension for all of this. It should come with a health warning. It has confused us. It has left us with bad theology. It's frozen us under the weight of our responsibilities. And it keeps leaving me wondering, why Luke? Why did you make such a big deal of it? I've not understood the need for it. And so, for most of my priestly life, I've ignored it. But one of the gifts of coming here and having to preach every Sunday from our lectionary is I can't ignore it. It's there. I'd like to ignore it, but it's there. So I have to at least ask, well, it's there in the church's calendar. They've celebrated it for nearly 2,000 years. What might it offer us? What might this thing offer us? Well, there's probably a number of things. One of our ex-bishops Peter Atkins wrote a book about the importance of the Ascension, which I have not read, and maybe I should. But one of the things about the Ascension is that it can be seen as the other side of the Incarnation. The Incarnation, which I have said, is the idea that the God, the Eternal Word, coming among us as one of us in the person of Jesus, fully human and fully divine. Now, whether or not you can go and get your heads around Jesus being fully human and fully divine, the importance of that theology is that in the Incarnation, the divinity of the fully divine Jesus mingles with our humanity, with all its earthiness and messiness. And when that happens, we are reminded that we are made in the image of God that that divinity was placed at the core of our being, at our creation. And Jesus shows us what that divine, that divinity looks like when lived out. It reminds us that in our creation, divinity had already mingled with our humanity. And that should blow our minds. And it does blow a lot of people's minds when they first think about it. And they kind of pull back from it. I've been at events where Christians have gone, no, that's wrong. I've gone, well, it's at the heart of Christianity. It's what the incarnation is all about. That God values us, each one of us, and all humanity so much that God, the eternal word, came among us as one of us. In all our humanness, all our frailty, all our powerlessness, as a sign of how much God values us, esteems us, loves us. That's how important we are to God. And it reminds us that at our core, we are divine. And we are invited 
to live that out. So what then is the ascension? Well, in the ascension, this fully divine, fully human Jesus ascends into the Godhead. I think too often we think that at the resurrection, Jesus stops being human. But the gospel writers were very clear. Jesus was touched. Jesus ate. And they did that not just because it was a good story, but they wanted to be absolutely clear that the risen Jesus was still fully human. Certainly different from you and I, I'm not so good at walking through closed doors, and I'm suspecting most of you are not that good at that either. But that's not the point. The point was for the Gospel writers, the risen Jesus was still fully human. So in terms of the ascension, that means that this fully human Jesus ascends into the Godhead. The ascension is when God's humanity mingles with God's divinity. When Jesus returns to the Trinity and our humanity mingles at the core of the Godhead. It's like a welcome mat is put out for us. We are invited to join the party. The, the party that exists eternally at the heart of the Trinity. We are drawn into the life of God, right into the heart of that life. And that's not sometime in the future after we die. That's a welcome map put out for us now. The human Jesus is drawn back into the life of the Trinity, is not separate from it, but into the heart of the Trinity. And with Jesus, we are drawn into the heart of the Trinity as well. We are reminded that God is not far, far away. But we are in the heart of God. And we are invited to join in that life. That is the gift of the ascension. So it comes with a health warning. But it has an amazing gift. Which we can summarise as God in us, us in God. Next week we come to Pentecost, the end of Easter and Pentecost Sunday. And I invite you over the next week to continue to say those words, God and us, us in God. To think about what that means for us, how we live our lives, how we see ourselves, how we see each other. Us in God, God in us. Let the ascension shape how we live our daily lives so that we can truly allow Jesus to be our primary image of God. So I just spend a moment in quiet thinking about that, us and God, God and us, and then we'll say the creed.